Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the March 24th um, QPSC. Um, we'll just start out with roll call. Before we go into roll call, I'll, I'll, I already know ahead of time uh, that Trustee Banerjee will be absent and Trustee Splendorio uh, may be absent, but he's going to try to join at a later part of the meeting. So barring that, let's go into roll call, please. Excellent. Uh, Trustee Banerjee is absent. Trustee Bouquet. Here. Trustee Dong. Here. Trustee Esteen. Here. Trustee Jensen is not here, it looks like, and Trustee Spandorio is also not here. I believe we have a quorum, though. Yes, ma'am. Thank you very much. Um, we'll we'll uh, start off every meeting reminding ourselves of the purpose of this meeting from our, our charter. Uh, the QPSC is established to provide oversight and leadership for medical staff credentialing review of organizational policies and monitoring of organizational quality assurance, performance improvement, and safety programs. The QPSC is charged with continuing the practice of direct communication with medical staff leaders on issues of clinical operations and patient care. So our charter, we'll do it at the top of every meeting. We'll now go into public comment. It's my understanding that uh, there is no scheduled public comment. Is that right, Madam Clerk? Correct. We don't have any, or I don't have any anyway. Okay. I will remind the public who are who are in the room, uh, just as a reminder, the agenda, uh, which you all have access to, has clear and full instructions about how to sign up for public comment. However, uh, Madam Clerk has reminded me that it's not a problem to sign up by raising your hand during this public comment section. So, uh, Rana, you and I will just kind of peruse the audience. I don't see any hands going up. So given that, we will go right into item A, uh, which is the, the QPSC chair. There are two articles here. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to belabor them too much. Two articles which, in, which are included for hopefully everyone's review. Um, I, hopefully everyone read it. The first article is called The Cost of Poor Quality. What is, what is quality worth? Quantifying potential savings. And uh, in, this was an article we, we actually reviewed a few years ago, but I found it to be... Um, a curious opportunity for us to, to, to rethink how we create that intersection between finance and quality. In, in, in some, the, the, this measurement, the cost of poor quality, isn't engaged by many, very, very many organizations. Uh, the writer asserts the cost of poor quality is made up of four buckets, internal failures, external failures, surveillance, and prevention. What are those internal failures? These are failure, quality failures that actually don't reach the patient. That might be like uh, open slots which aren't scheduled, or that might be uh, administrative days in a hospital. Um, so they don't really affect a patient, but they, they certainly come at cost. External fa failures are pa failures that make it to a patient. So uh, our quality team does a great job of, uh, of kind of dissecting uh, this, this portion of it. So I think this is something that we certainly pay attention to. Surveillance is the cost. How much does it cost to, to do workarounds for, for our internal failures? And, and prevention is, is one that we've built into our quality team. Um, but, but we also think about this concept of muda and waste. And I know how hard the quality team works. And I think maybe four or five QPSCs ago, we talked about how much energies were being put into um, this joint commission resurvey that we had. And I think the calculus, uh, 
Dr. Hussein, you can correct me if I'm wrong, was on the order of hundreds of hours. And, and when we think about the cost of poor quality, those were hundreds of hours that we did for a necessary thing, but for which, if you think about it, we could have perhaps allocated to other uh, further things. So, so th this concept of the cost of poor quality or a COPQ measure is, is, is really what this article delves into. And there, in one of the paragraphs, it's, it said, how do you calculate a COPQ? First, I recommend that, uh, this, this is what the author says, I recommend that every quality improvement project have a project charter. So as we go into the latter part of discussions today, this is, this is uh, about quality improvement projects. This is sort of an interesting consideration. This document would define the scope and the stakeholders of any quality initiative. And just as important, it would define the cost of poor quality issues that you're looking at. Uh, I think when we hear from, uh, from our, our colleagues uh, from John George, they're going to be making an argument. They, they've made things more efficient, and I, I think it's a nice argument. But what if the, the cost of, 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 of not doing this were calculated in, in, in a quality improvement project? Um, how does uh, COPQ fit into the current finance strategy? We do have our finance chair in the room. The, the value of, of COPQ as a planning tool is that it makes a clear business case for why healthcare organizations should care about quality. And I think what we need to continue to strive to do here is interlink quality and finance in these, in, in these discussions. So with that, I'll close up and I'll leave it to uh, trustees, if trustees Blue, Dong, or Esteen have any comments on this one. Yeah, I have a comment. Yes, ma'am. So you mentioned to interlink quality with finances. Yes, ma'am. And uh, how how do you determine what comes first? Is it quality or finances? Yeah. Right, because we know finances drives healthcare, and that's the wrong. It's just wrong. Uh, I, I I think those are the existential questions of any organization. I would agree with you. Uh, I, I I would assert, uh, you know, it was once said to me that that the business should follow the care and not the other way around. But the, these are the things that 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 our leaders and us as as trustees get to discuss uh, as we strategize. Where do we prioritize? Because some of these quality costs money, uh, as we'll know. And uh, but not doing quality also costs money. So I think these are great dialogues to have with our executive leadership team and at the board level as, as we advance on Trustee Blue. Uh, trustee Esteem. Uh, I would agree with the, the existential question of comparing quality and finance. And uh, I think that as we, think that as, as we, a nurse, as a nurse uh, and as a, and as a, there's a bit of an echo, I apologize. As a nurse and as a currently serving as finance committee chair, um, I know that quality doesn't boil down to dollars and cents always. And right. we, as healthcare providers and as a healthcare system, we have to imagine that it's so much bigger than that, especially because we are also a safety net system that serves people who may never be able to pay their bill. And so does that mean that we should sacrifice quality in order to ensure that we have the cheapest possible service provided, uh, you know, service provision or 
or service model? And I just don't think so. Um, and maybe that makes it all the more important that I am the finance committee chair, not that I'm the uh, CFO by any measure, but um, patient care comes first. Uh, and I think we have to put that on a, as high a possible standard with quality uh, because that is ultimately our goals. And when we think about the, the mission statement of the organization, it does not say the bottom line comes first. Thank you, Trustee Yassin. I mean, obviously agreed. I think most people in the room. Um, and we have to keep the lights on. And we have to keep our workforce paid. And all these. I don't see this as a but. I, I see this as an and. Um, um, but uh, these are discussions we'll continue to have. Um, barring no other comment on uh, that first article, the second article uh, was uh, creating a culture of continuous improvement. Uh, anyone who's uh, been engaged in the uh, quality letter literature knows about Dr. Toussaint, uh, who, who led Theta Care in Wisconsin up until 2008. Uh, I, I just bring this as a reminder. He, 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 uh, Dr. Toussaint is uh, very much a uh, disciple of, of the Toyota production system, the lean management systems. And, and this was sort of an homage to that, saying continuous improvement has to be continuous. We, uh, and an organization has to be overt in, in expressing what it wants to do. And there was, a, there was one of the paragraphs in there which actually uh, was talking about um, one of these CEOs who, who like, a, like a good leader, came in and already planned his succession planning. And as he was planning his succession planning, he talked about how um, uh, this would be hard on any single individual. So he, he found an incumbent to get it on the board to make sure that continuous improvement was uh, uh, was uh, one of the banners that that, that organization fl flew, and and that those trustees walked the halls to help, <laughs> so they so they could understand the work that was being done, and and those trustees actually went underwent some of the Toyota production system principles, so that these were things that could be continued on, and it wasn't incumbent on one any one single CEO. Um, so, um, because this is hard work and it, it does take many to continue it because this is culture shifting stuff. So with that, I will uh, open up. Are there any comments on, on that article, a culture of continuous improvement? Um, I would just say that was my favorite part of the article. Uh, what you just mentioned about walking the halls, seeing what happens, how it's done and how uh, people continuously kind of check in on what's happening in the field. Um, for us, that would mean understanding what the clinical arm and other folks do throughout the system for administrators just to be continuously informed and leadership to be continuously informed to make more better decisions. And um, that, that, is, that was my favorite part. And I think that resonated with me quite a bit. Got That's it, all. apologies. I'm getting some communications. Um, we don't. We actually do not. We haven't voted on anything yet. We actually do not have a quorum right now. Is that council? One, two, three, four, five. Yes, there's three. There's three members absent. The committee is six members, so you need one more before you take any votes. But you can proceed with the meeting. Yes, sir. Sorry. My apologies. 
uh, uh, I, I was counting Trustee Blue, who um, actually doesn't hold in the. So thank you for coming, Trustee Blue. Apologies. Um, so we will skip item B, which is the consent agenda, and we'll come back to that with the hopes that uh, Trustee Jensen is is uh, coming in. Madam Clerk, will you reach out to her? Yep, already on it. Got it. Um, so um, let's go to medical staff reports, if you don't mind. Uh, we'll, we'll skip item B and we'll go to item C. Um, as everyone recalls, uh, we, as we said in the charter, the direct interface with our medical staff leaders, it's included in the charter of what we do here. Um, we have three medical staff leaders here this evening. We have Dr. Irina Williams, of course, who is the chief of staff for the Alameda Health System uh, uh, medical staff. Uh, Dr. Jake Schwartz is going to be sitting in for Dr. Idris Afzali, who uh, leads the San Leandro Hospital leadership team, and Dr. Nikita Josie, uh, who is the vice chair of Alameda Hospital's medical staff, will be here. So, um, dealer's choice team, um, whoever wants to go first. I just wanted to add that unfortunately, Dr. Schwartz was also not able to join the meeting today. So he sort of gave me a sign out from San Leandro Hospital, and I'll be happy to communicate that um, since they're also uh, within AHS medical staff. Perfect. Dr. Williams, do you, do you mind leading us off? Sounds good. Okay, so I will start with um, my report. Um, uh, so... Uh, um, we, I wanted to update the board um, as a part of my report. Uh, we have a green team committee uh, that reported to MEC for the first time um, this past week. It's an ecological footprint committee, and they're doing a lot of amazing work in terms of um, sustainability and safety and environmental justice uh, within Alameda Health System. Um, so uh, some of the highlights from their report I thought will be nice to share with the board. Um, uh, this committee is working to incorporate uh, environmentally friendly practices in the areas of medical device recycling, waste disposal, um, and more within AHS. Um, they let us know that Highland Hospital Acute Care Tower is what is called LEEDS certified, which means that it's a green building um, certifying process to ensure that the building is water and energy efficient. Um, we do have suppliers who have programs uh, to supply HS with environmentally friendly cleaning products and recycling of medical devices. And we also have a renewal program and we have um, placement of uh, bins for recycling of pulse oximeters, uh, hover mats and compression sleeves as well as laryngoscopes. So our OR is quite green at this point. So we thought this were nice updates to share with the board. Um, we also have um, department chair searches that are going on right now. We have three active um, uh, department chair search committees. So we have a um, committee to search for an orthopedic surgery chair and a committee to search for psychiatry chair that have been put together for some time. So they're making ongoing recruitment efforts um, to find those chairs. And we just we have just formed a chair search committee for the Department of Internal Medicine chair. And this committee will begin their sort of initial process of vetting the applicants. Um, we have a long and um, 
emotionally charged discussion regarding the diversity and inclusion um, for this particular committee. And I'm proud to share that um, the committee we formed is quite diverse, and we uh, even have representation from the EBMG Diversity uh, Equity and Inclusion Committee on this chair search committee, and um, EBMG will be supporting this committee in, ter in terms of their efforts for the Department of Medicine chair search. Um, another update is that uh, we have our palliative care services um, expanding to San Leandro and Alameda hospitals as a part of a three-year partially grant-funded program. And that also um, led to creation of multi-facility palliative care privilege forms to support that expansion and access to this um, type of services um, in San Leandro and Alameda hospitals. Um, and uh, in terms of credentialing, um, uh, that that update is on the uh, is on the report. Uh, I know we always want to share some of the issues and concerns. I didn't put that um, on my report. I wanted to verbally communicate that. And I think one of um, the uh, top concerns that uh, medical staff has had involvement with is sort of supporting um, the merge of San Leandro Hospital medical staff with the AHS medical staff and really um, understanding how we can better support these providers and how um, ensure their engagement with the AHS medical staff and sort of, you know, dealing with some after effects of that merge. And uh, some of the concerns from San Leandro hospitals that we're hearing on the clinical and operational side are the, uh, are the challenges with the consultant services um, in the ED and in the, in the inpatient side. Um, and I believe some of these concerns may be also shared by the Alameda Hospital medical staff as well. Um, so that sort of leads me to the sign out piece that I got from San Leandro Hospital um, the leadership committee. Um, they did mention that the subspecialty consults do still present a challenge, but this topic is being actively discussed. Um, and uh, the solutions have been looked for. Um, also, the leadership committee wanted to express um, their gratitude to James Jackson and Mark Fratzke for doing their rounds uh, and acknowledging main areas of concern in San Leander Hospital. Um, and also they wanted to share that they're doing well with the COVID vaccine rollout on the inpatient side um, in compliance with state recommendations. So that concludes my report for both um, AHS medical staff, including us and Leander Leadership Committee. Thanks for your report, Dr. Williams. Trustees, um, any questions of Dr. Williams with regard to the report? Dr. Williams, so previously uh, med staff issues of trust, concerns about talent retention, and just to be clear, your top concern right now is supporting the merge of the medical staff between San Leandro in Alameda Hospital. Yeah, I guess uh, supporting uh, the next steps that we need to take after that merge to ensure that we uh, provide adequate support to our San Leandro providers and that we are incorporating and engaging, engaging them in a fair and proper way. Okay. Trustees, any questions in that regard? I'll note that uh, uh, the merger of these medical staffs occurred uh, late uh, mid-19, is that right, Mike? Yes. Um, so so uh, 
you know, we're, we're, you know, we're roughly 15, 16, 17 months into this, but, you know, uh, if, if, if we care about the, the tenor of that article, continuous improvement, uh, then, then we'll continue to find uh, those opportunities for improvement. Uh, look forward to your report, Dr. Williams, on how we can do that. Uh, and uh, uh, I, I ask you to consider what resources you need to, 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 to navigate that issue. Thank you. Trustees, any other questions? Quiet crowd tonight. Okay. Um, Dr. Joshi, uh, Dr. Nikita Joshi is, is the vice chief of staff at Alameda Hospital. She's also on the medical staff at, at Alameda Health System. Uh, she's an emergency department doctor. Hi, Dr. Joshi. You're on mute. Not a Zoom meeting unless we say you're on mute. <laughs> How about now? Can you hear me? How about now? Perfect. I apologize. Uh, thank you, everyone, for the opportunity to speak with you all tonight. As Dr. Buket mentioned, I'm actually a rare bird in that I actually sit on both med staff. So um, I have the privilege of often seeing many sides of things. But today I'm speaking to you all on behalf of the Alameda Hospital med staff. Um, on behalf of Dr. Pune, who is the Chief of Staff. And so to start with our credentialing report is in the packet. Um, please let us know if there's any questions regarding anything that has been uh, recommended and submitted for approval. Um, we, similar with Alameda Health System, have consent agenda items, which is our medical staff departmental specialty privilege forms. We have the palliative care multi-facility form and the PA palliative care multi-facility form. Um, as Dr. Williams mentioned, the palliative care program has this three-year partially funded grant that will also be expanded to Alameda Hospital. And so we are thrilled that this grant will be able to extend great palliative care uh, to all of HSO, including the Alameda Hospital patients um, who we serve. So very excited for that. Um, in terms of our rank list for concerns, and so Nothing has changed too significant from what Dr. Pune had presented previously. Um, one of our concerns is access to subspecialty care. We have made a lot of stride and great forward momentum progress with regards to teleneurology. That launched at the end of January. It's been extremely successful. Uh, we were a little concerned at Alameda Hospital because um, we had an in-house neurologist, but teleneurology has been really great for our patients and has expanded our abilities to provide care for our stroke patients. So we're grateful for that. Um, the stroke program at Alameda Hospital is deeply important to us. We've also expanded um, telemedicine services to include cardiology, which has expanded our subspecialty access there. Um, we do have issues and concerns with sub-surgical um, specialties. And so we are working with leadership to work to identify opportunities and areas to expand our access to that. Um, similar to what Dr. Pune presented last time, another area of concern is how we can continue to support and foster the just culture um, um, feel within Alameda Hospital. We believe in it and we care for it. Um, and it's part of all of our considerations, especially when we are doing our QRCs and case reviews, um, not just in ensuring that we provide great patient care, but also how we can support our colleagues when we're undergoing chart care. Um, another area of concern and we are working on is our survey readiness. We are in the window. 
along with survey readiness, we are looking closely at our facilities and improving our equipment. So some of this includes the large construction projects that have been ongoing now for many months. Um, that's important to upgrade our facilities uh, and also upgrading our facilities to prepare for the Joint Commission. Um, in terms of equipment, we're doing a lot of work to expand the equipment that we have available, especially with regards to advanced airway management. Another area of concern, the last point that I would like to mention is our transfer process. So Alameda Hospital, we often have patients that we have to transfer either from the emergency department or the inpatient areas. And so we are working closely with the administration. We are working closely with our transfer center, which is HS system-wide to improve and um, to improve and streamline the protocols that we have and develop new ones as they are necessary. And that concludes my report. I'm happy to take any questions at this time. Trustees, any questions? I thought I saw Trustee Dong do a brief. Um, any trustees? Thank you, Dr. Joshi. Dr. Joshi, my feelings are a little bit hurt. Um, GI has been on site since November 3rd. <laughs> <laughs> and we there was previously years of not that. So uh, I've been there all week myself, and I've already done about five cases. So uh, uh, you know, no, GI being at Alameda has been a huge, important aspect. Um, it benefits us. It also benefits San Leandro, uh, for that matter. I actually know of two patients today. I worked clinically who benefited from Alameda having excellent GI services. One patient was at San Leandro. Another was at Highland who was able to be transferred to Alameda. So not only did GI um, provide a necessary service, it helped to decompress Highland. It helped the San Leandro um, emergency um, care as well. So basically, I highlight this as an example of the system being wise in how we use our resources and benefiting our patients. So thank you, GI. You've done a great service for us. You didn't have to say excellent. We are there, though. Uh, so... so. <laughs> Uh, and, you know, uh, characterizing where we were and then where we are is always a part of this journey, right? It, 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 all, all of our psychological mindsets sort of remember this is the last last thing. And uh, I think that's part of our journey to characterize where we were so we can understand where we are. Thank you for your report, Dr. Joshi. Trustees, any other further questions as, as we close this item out? None? Given that, uh, we are moving along uh, quite nicely. We will close out item C. We uh, just as a as 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 a report to the trustees. We don't have a quorum right now, so we can hear reports and have discussions. Uh, to to be truthful, there's usually only one voting item on the agenda, and that's the consent agenda. And and sorry, and then a second item in closed session, which is credentialing. So I'm hopeful that we can get another trustee in here so we can do the. The, the, the approval part of our business. But barring that, we'll move on to item D and, and give the platform to our chief quality officer, uh, Dr. Tanfir Hussein, as a reminder, he's gonna walk us through um, three elements. He's gonna walk us through patient safety, regulatory affairs, and this True North metric dashboard, which, are, which has quality, quality relevant metrics. Uh, of course, Dr. Hussein is supported by Darshan Graywall, who is our system director of patient safety, Nilda Perez is who our system director of regulatory affairs, and of course Annette Johnson, our quality analytics uh, manager. So, uh, Dr. Hussein, welcome and welcome to the team, the quality team as always. Uh, I know you guys are in readiness state right now, so you'll probably talk us through some of that. Uh, the floor is yours, sir. Thank you, Dr. Joshi. Um, 
Uh, thank you. Uh, thank you very much, Trustee Bouquet. Um, so we'll go through our standard work here. We'll begin with the patient safety report. Um, very nicely prepared by, as you mentioned, our system director for patient safety, Ms. Darshan Graywall. Um, so the first element we always review is um, how we are doing in terms of our serious harms. Um, fiscal year to date, there have been about 3,800 events. When those events um, are, reach a level of ease, that is um, an event that has caused temporary harm requiring intervention, um, we begin to measure that. So um, we're at 2.8%. Uh, percent. Uh, so that's a total of 111 events fiscal year to date. Um, for this current month to date, that's actually 11, and that's downtrending from last month. Um, in your closed session report, uh, you will in the closed session patient safety report, you will see a breakdown of what the 11 harms uh, are from for this last month. Um, for the, our patient relations report. Um, uh, you will see here that we continue with a favorable direction where we're seeing um, that our staff are addressing more uh, concerns in real time, thereby decreasing our number of grievances. And uh, recall that grievances are those um, concerns that patients can have about quality or safety of care that could not be remediated or addressed during um, their interactions with us. Um, here is that graph uh, uh, that we promised. We would show you the bar graph where you can see um, the events. Um, and uh, the bar graph, for example, for February um, is color-coded based on the risk of the stratification E, F, G, and H. So uh, notably, we haven't had any H or I events. Um, um, we did have a causal investigation or root cause analysis, and that will be uh, shared in detail in closed session. Um, now, notably on Monday of this week, we completed our score culture safety survey, um, and we meet, we uh, hit, uh, although our goal was to hit 80%, uh, which was a nice stretch goal, we were able to attain 70% participation across AHS. So that's uh, um, remarkable considering that the national average published by the Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality is 50 to 55%. That said, um, that was not without, you know, the um, heavy involvement of our executive leadership team, including um, uh, Mr. Jackson, Dr. Jamaluddin, and Mr. Frasky, to really reassure the organization about the confidentiality of the information, and more importantly, the transparent mechanism by which these data will be shared back uh, to the organization. Um, and a commitment to clear execution of actions to address concerns raised in the culture of safety survey. Um, that plan is uh, um, the data will be shared uh, in early May once the vendor safe and reliable does their validation. And we have outlined for you here the way in which it will be debriefed at the executive leadership team all the way down to the frontline staff um, with corresponding action plans. In the coming months, we will be happy to share with you um, those information from the culture of safety survey. Moving into our next item, which is the regulatory affairs report. Um, a number of items here, most notably, um, we are in our go ready state at the core facilities that include Thailand, the hospital-based clinics, John George, San Leandro, um, John George, um, and Fairmont. And um, as of today, uh, the surveyors have not arrived. We expect two surveyors, a generalist clinical surveyor, as well as a life safety engineer surveyor to spend three days with us. 
the scope of their survey will be to ensure that we are screening the corrective actions put in place since February and that the handful of findings discovered in November um, have been corrected. Uh, so we are, uh, there's been a lot of work. Um, I would say it's sort of um, game day prep for lack of a better metaphor or simile that's going on, a lot of scrubbing of charts, uh, uh, scrubbing of tape, just to make sure we can put our best foot forward. So again, um, given that this is a three-day survey, um, they can't come later this week, um, but they could come again next week on Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday. So we're in a state of constant vigilance with the command center being set up at Highland every morning by uh, 7 a.m., uh, and we get that notification at 7.30. Um, uh, we have in your report, you will see implemented really a state-of-the-art digital rounding uh, tool called Syntax, which your organization has taken up uh, to be able to help with continuous monitoring of um, uh, patient care standards and environmental standards. You'll see there uh, some uh, snapshots of what that tool looks like and more importantly, how we can use that rounding data to provide um, uh, quality reports to see how we're tracking and trending. Um, in terms of um, uh, the California, uh, uh, California Department of Public Health, um, since the last uh, report and uh, before the submission of this report, there was one reportable event at San Leandro. That's the same one for which there was a root cause analysis, which we will take a deep dive into during closed session. The final thing I want to point out in the um, regulatory affairs report is um, uh, there is an office of quality and patient safety um, who uh, um, of the joint commission. So in addition to the accreditation arm, for which we are awaiting surveyors to arrive, there is an Office of Quality and Patient Safety that intakes um, complaints. Um, uh, there have been five complaints here since um, uh, January. We have submitted responses to three of them. Um, it's our job uh, to either substantiate them, not substantiate them, or to indicate that there is insufficient information. Um, and we share this information publicly with you um, uh, at the governing body level uh, so that there's transparency that these concerns that are shared with us uh, by uh, either anonymously or by the Joint Commission, we take very seriously. Um, and thus far, 100% of all our complaint responses have been accepted by the Joint Commission. Finally, our True North metric dashboard. Uh, so you have um, a well-written report here by Annette Johnson and Dr. Neha Gupta. Let me just draw your attention um, to the dashboard itself. Um, so um, some key points I want to share with you. Um, the month of January was uh, the peak of our winter COVID surge. Um, the case mix index, which is a measure of the complexity of our patients, um, was 2.0, which is the highest that I've seen in my uh, tenure here, which um, suggests the complexity of the patients our system was caring for. Um, that complexity is accounted for in the expected length of stay. Um, so we did observe a longer length of stay, but the complexity of our patients also went up. So our ratio of observed to expected stayed within the green. That said, when patients require longer duration of care, that does cause backup in our emergency department until beds become available. And you see that reflected here in terms of our ED throughput time. Similarly, at the, at the very same time that the complexity of our patients increased, uh, the outbreaks in our community in the post-acute sector 
and dialysis centers also made it difficult to, to get our patients placement. And so you see that the avoidable days um, also increased. What I'd like to say is though these metrics are in the red, um, that doesn't mean that everybody in the system was not working as hard as they could. Um, and so I just want to acknowledge uh, that reality of the metrics being in red, um, but that it's in large part also a reflection of the complexity. Um, the second thing I want to draw your attention to is our supplemental dollars from QIP. Remember that starting in January of this year, QIP um, transitioned from fiscal year to calendar year. So 23% um, um, represents performance on the first of 12 months. So um, uh, we are uh, uh, well on our way to, um, we have still um, the rest of the year to uh, meet the performance on those metrics. The final thing I want to draw your attention to is that in the ambulatory sector, uh, patient experience continues to rise. So kudos to ambulatory. Um, and with um, an update in our methodology for patient experience um, uh, data capture, uh, although the data here shows December, uh, right after the submission of this report, we actually received our completed January data. And I want to let you know that we are actually uh, surpassing our baseline and at 70%. So this is moving upward. And I would um, uh, be uh, remiss if I did not share something that was quite exciting um, at both our Medical Executive Committee and Quality Safety uh, Council, uh, where we discussed the analysis of um, equity in terms of the care that our patients receive. So I give you a primer on the methodology to this last month. Um, and um, in your packet, in the addendum, you will see the analysis that was performed. So um, recall that in our True North Metric dashboard, we measure harms. These are PSI 90s as defined by Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, as well as the Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality. We track that on our True North Metrics, and we've done that now for three years. So what we have decided to do is to look at that harm index by race ethnicity, language, and gender. Race, as I mentioned in last month's primer, is based on um, the first designation of self-reported race. Ethnicity, uh, we had access to Hispanic versus non-Hispanic. Language, we looked at English versus non-English. And for gender, we looked at male versus female. So this is the um, table one of the descriptive statistics of the distribution of discharges and surgical discharges by race, ethnicity, language and gender. The subsequent pages tables now shows us rates of harm stratified by race, ethnicity, language, and gender. So let me get to um, uh, uh, a high-level summary. So when we looked at harms by ethnicity, which is Hispanic versus non-Hispanic in fiscal year 19, there was no statistically significant difference in harms between Hispanic versus non-Hispanic. There were also no statistically significant differences in harm based on language, English versus non-English, nor were there statistically significant differences in harm in fiscal 19 between male and female. In fiscal 20, we also saw the same pattern. There was no statistically significant difference in harm by ethnicity, language, or gender. Moreover, the total harm rate in fiscal 19 declined in fiscal 20. 
So not only did the overall harm rate across all patients decrease between fiscal 19 and fiscal 20, but that was done so that all groups, regardless of ethnicity, language, and gender, similarly benefited. Where we had an opportunity is when we looked at harm rates um, by race. So in fiscal 19, when we did a chi-square test looking at whether or not there are differences in harm by race, we did pick, a, a, pick up a statistically significant difference in fiscal 19. The good news is that by fiscal 20, there was no longer any statistically significant difference in harm rate by race. What might be some of the explanations for the improvement? Um, we've put that here uh, in the intervention. That includes the development of system-wide clinical guidelines. Um, primarily one of our high rates of difference were in VTE, that's venous thromboembolism, or deep venous uh, thrombosis. The implementation of those clinical guidelines was important. Furthermore, the creation of order sets um, uh, that prompted uh, clinical care teams to consider that for all appropriate patients, um, as well as peer review of all cases, and of course, improved documentation, including are just some of the factors that were implemented in fiscal 19 that not only decreased the totality of harm rate, but also helped close the racial difference we saw in fiscal 19. Um, I want to share with you that this was also um, uh, discussed in our uh, clinical learning environment uh, visit, a Claire visit with ACGME, uh, who uh, uh, shared with us that the robustness of our disparities analysis was actually un unparalleled. So, um, um, uh, so with that, I'll conclude my report. Thank you, Dr. Hussein. Trustees. Uh, there's Trustee Dong. Trustee Dong, go for it. Sorry, Trustee Dong, we can't hear you. Okay, I just figured out, I don't know what happened. I'm unmuted. <laughs> Thank you so much for that uh, report. I always enjoy uh, these reports. Um, I have a number of questions, but just there's one question I have. You talk about in the harm rate uh, find findings without statistically significant uh, impact. Can you define what you mean by statistically significant in these cases? Of course. So um, because the harm rate is, the, the uh, harms uh, should occur quite infrequently, um, mm -hmm. one or two may uh, quickly uh, or dramatically change the rate. Uh, so basically, we use a chi-square, which is a standard statistical um, testing methodology to see whether or not the difference is by chance or real. Um, so we do statistical, difference, uh, statistical testing to determine whether or not a difference is real or by chance. Um, so in the, uh, when I say not statistically significant, it means that uh, there is no um, evidence that there are real differences. So you may see like 1.21 for one racial group and 1.25 for another racial group. So we use statistical testing to say, is 1.21 truly different from 1.25? Okay, so uh, just another quick follow-up. So do you calculate like a deviation, a standard deviation for each, each situation? 
Oh, very good. Okay, yes, you're, yeah, we can nerd out about this. I love it. I'm sorry, guys. Uh, so bio, no, no, no. Biostat 101. Because these are rates, um, we uh, use a Poisson distribution uh, mm. to do this. So we don't calculate standard errors. It's using a chi-square mm. test methodology, uh, which basically calculates, if I remember correctly, and I have people on the call to hold me, uh, uh, to honesty here, so Annette, Neha, I'm looking at you. I believe it's, it looks at an overall mean uh, uh, proportion and it calculates each strata difference from that mean and it's a test mm-hmm. using the kind of statistical table to see if that uh, total delta is actually statistically significant. Okay. Um, good job. I got that. Oh, Taff, did you get that? Did you? I'm sorry. No, yeah. <laughs> no, he's doing a good job. Dr. Yeah. Gupta, I think, is chomping at the bits to give us some instruction here. Oh. No? Dr. Gupta? Okay. Nope. Yes. Okay. Can I ask a follow-up? Of course. Okay. Uh, Dr. Hussein, you said the harm rate by race statistic was, was indeed statistically significant in fiscal year 19, and that you, you found it was corrected in fiscal year 20. Can you describe qualitatively what that situation was briefly? Yeah, so... Um, so the chi-square test doesn't actually tell us within which groups it was different, um, but it tells us when we look at the overall proportion of distribution, uh, the uh, overall sort of proportion between groups, there appears to be uh, that they're not um, uh, equal. Um, so if we look at the uh, data, uh, that difference could be detected either because the African-American um, population suffered um, higher harms than the Asian population, for example. But it, it won't tell us between which groups there's a difference. It just overall tells us that the rate, it was different by, different by racial group. But if we look at the table, we can see, for example, that the harms were highest amongst our African-American population. Um, so qualitatively, um, when we look at an analysis of what those harms were, we know that uh, there was a higher rate of, of venous thromboembolism and mm-hmm. deep venous thromboembolism. Oh, okay. um, so, yes, yeah, so, so, so what we did in fiscal uh, 20 was to actually do a case-by-case, uh, when I say we, I mean the organization, uh, case-by-case review. And um, um, as is often the challenge uh, uh, in quality is uh, there uh, was variation in practice. Now we can't tell you why there was variation in practice, meaning why certain patients were put on anticoagulations and why others were not. Um, mm-hmm. But we, that variation led us to suggest that we need to have standard work that really says, regardless of the patient's individual, uh, 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 so that every patient that comes in, we ask certain criteria that's built into an order set so that to minimize that variation so that people get uh, care that's um, uh, um, aligned with best practice. And that had a dramatic effect. That, with the additional um, case-by-case analysis that our uh, physicians do in peer review. Does that answer your question? Yes, thank you. Uh, uh, Trustee Bouquet, that ends my nerdy questions for the for this we slide. Like, we, we like nerds. We like nerds. <laughs> um, uh, uh, we have Trustee... Estine, I think Trustee Jensen joined us. She's on one of the screens. Trustee Jensen, are you here? There she is. Uh, any other comments or questions? 
Um, I, I, of course, I, I, I have a few. A few. Uh, Dr. Hussein, you described that this would probably be, uh, uh, actually, uh, I'll, I'll ask this question and then I'll ask a, a broader question. You said they'd probably only come for about three days. Now, historically, uh, the, these so-called triannual tri surveys were four and often five days. Can you comment on that? Is, is, is that just the new way of doing it? Because shorter might be a little bit uh, less uh, grinding on the organization, I'll say. Um, so uh, we are happier that it's shorter, that it's three days. Uh, the reason it is shorter is because it's a follow-up survey. So they're coming um, to uh, validate that the corrections we had put in uh, in the November survey to address the February findings are still in place and that any handful of findings that came in November are still have been addressed. So it's a follow-up survey to validate all our work is still in place. So this is a follow a validation survey, if you will? Yes, it's, it's a technically it's an AFS, accreditation with follow-up survey. So I want to say in philosophy, it's exactly what you're saying, but that terminology validation survey has another meeting uh, as Got well. It. So that's why okay. I'm hedging Apolo a little bit. So, so what, talk to me about the outcome. Talk to me about the best outcome uh, from this survey with the downstream implications. And, and we have to go through the exercise. Talk to me about the worst potential outcome and what would be the implications there. Yeah. So, um, to give you some insight into this, uh, there is a uh, um, there is a special branch of the accreditation arm of Joint Commission uh, um, that has representatives that look at uh, um, organizations and, um, and that were put on a preliminary denial of accreditation track. So, with that said, there's a lot of things that Nola and I are learning. This is uh, and even within the Joint Commission, it is a special area. So, um, with that said. Um, the, we are back in accredited status, so this follow-up survey would keep us in accredited status. Um, they're just coming to make sure that what we had achieved previously is still in place. So it will, it will keep us in accredited status, um, and then um, it will pull us back into the triannual process. Um, Nilda can probably speak a little more about whether it would move the window up or down a little bit, but broadly speaking, um, this would put us back on the triennial cycle. If we, if they have findings, uh, uh, my suspicion is that based on the scope and severity of the findings, whether they're conditional or non-conditional, it would lead those results to go back to um, their uh, accreditation committee to review. So I wish I could give you a clear answer about what it would mean, but I suspect that based on the findings of scope and severity in their interviews with us, it would need to go back to the accreditation committee, but I don't know that. I'm just speculating based on sure. the process they've thus far. Yeah, I know it was a hard question. Nilda, may I ask you? Hi, Nilda. Um, so is, is it your interpretation, or, or, or you can say we can't answer that question, that if we pass this 2021 survey within the next 20 or so days, that we then go back on the triannual, this counts as a triannual, so then they don't come back till 2024? Is that is that your feeling? No, uh, we would go back into the triennial um, process, um, but it will pull, we, because we did have a previous uh, denial of accreditation, we will get slightly pulled forward, possibly anywhere from six to 10 months. Ah, okay. So, so it's gonna happen again, 
in in and that would probably be a full the full five day version. Is that that would be the full triennial? Okay, just I'm trying to frame expectations. Um, uh, so, so it's it's wholly possible that they would return in calendar 21. Uh, well, let's see. We are now. Let's see. I would say we would not see them till 2022. Okay, uh, top of tw top of 2022. Okay. Yeah, but they will tell us more about that after the follow-up survey. Got it. Trustees, any questions on that part? Just to provide some clarity about because I, I know that a lot of a lot of energies have been put on this uh, uh, put in by this quality team. Clear. And, and mute, please. Uh, and unfortunately, the race never ends. I, I do want to make comment to something Dr. Hussein went through, which was this uh, safety and quality data plan, uh, which was put together by Annette Johnson, Neha Gupta, and, and, and Dr. Hussein. This is the stuff we've literally been talking about for years, and it didn't get the fanfare. I, I didn't mean like that. It, it's such big data. Um, uh, that we've been waiting to put an equity piece into this quality committee, and we're we've been trying to navigate that. This this is that data from which we can now start to have these discussions. So, um, although this is only a written report, this was maybe the most exciting uh, part of my reading for for this this document. This is sort of amazing stuff that we can come to again and again and again as we talked about the equity piece of of steep. Um, and those are sort of my comments. Trustees, any other comments as we close out item D? Thank you. We will close out item D. We're going to regress, go a little bit backwards. We're going to go back to item B, the consent agenda. We now have a quorum. Is that right, Council? Yes, got it. So, um, uh, uh, trustees, the consent agenda is before you. Uh, before entertaining a motion to improve the entirety of this consent agenda, are there any items that you feel need to be removed for discussion? I will make comments um, that uh, one of the privileges, the neurosurgery orthospine multifacility privilege, was errantly ordered uh, uh, put put in. It's okay. That is actually automatically being pulled out, so we are not voting on that one. I don't think. Um, we, I don't know if I need to make an amendment to approving the entire consent agenda. Mike, can we just presume that it was pulled out as per the request of med staff? Okay. Trustees, any, any items that you would like to pull from the consent agenda for discussion? I see shaking heads. Great. Except for trustee today or trustee Jensen. Thank you, trustee Jensen. So may I entertain a motion to improve the consent agenda in its entirety? So that was a, a race. How about one of you moves the other seconds? Uh, Trustee Jensen moves. Trustee Dong, would you second? Second. Got it. Um, uh, can we do a roll call, Madam Clerk? Yes, Trustee Bouquet. Aye. Trustee Dong. Aye. Trustee Esteen. Aye. Trustee Jensen. Aye. And Trustee Banerjee and Splendorio are both absent, but the motion passes. Thank you. So we'll close out item B, and we will jump back forward in the agenda, and we're moving decently decently well here. Item E is uh, quality improvement project reports, uh, planning for 2021. Uh, th this sort of requires a little bit of context. 
Um, I, I had a sit down with our, our CMO, Dr. Jamaluddin, our associate CMO, uh, Dr. Tornabene, and our chief quality officer a number of weeks ago. And, and we were talking about how we can put uh, the continuous improvement work we do on, on display because this is an organization where so much good happens. And I know a lot of bad floats through the halls of, the, of, of these reports. And I think it's important to examine how we uh, entertain the dialogues of quality. So th this was put forth by these three uh, uh, executive physician leaders on this and I, I thought it was a great idea so kudos to them and um, we're going to be hearing um, kind of you if you will the, the first out of the gates from uh, from the John George psychiatric team but I wanted to make this a space to have a discussion about what do we, we what would we perhaps want from this agenda item is this a place where we bear out uh, projects which haven't been fully borne out yet is this the place where we, or if you will, proof of concept ideas? Is this the place where we retrospectively review work that has been done? Is this the place where we review work which is in progress? Because I, I myself, and I, I think Dr. Tornabene said it, she, 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 she would like this to be an opportunity for kind of a badge of honor uh, for people who've done good work. It will also be the place where we can say where we've had some failures as well, but. I imagine that this calendar, uh, the agendizing for this item, will hopefully fill up pretty quickly. And I wanted to give space for that. So uh, Dr. J, Dr. Tornabene, uh, Dr. Hussein, they're all in the room. So uh, I want to give us maybe five minutes, 10 minutes of space to talk about some ideas which have floated through, uh, uh, through uh, your office about what things that you might want to consider presenting. And of course, uh, open this up to our CEO and our COO. Uh, Dr. Tornabene, uh, you and I most recently had our meeting. Can Would you mind just uh, uh, diving in? Sure, yeah, no problem. Um, I'm really excited about this agenda item. I think it's it's such a, um, it's so important to highlight um, continuous quality improvement. I myself, uh, you know, love the idea of being able to share projects at all stages of development in order to, it's not always about the perfect end product. It can be about the work in progress. Um, you know, that uh, I've, uh, you know, communicated in our dyads huddle and various position uh, leadership forums or, around, please send me uh, your ideas. And, you know, I, ideas have come forth regarding some uh, ambulatory improvements, some improvements in um, areas like uh, our care for substance use disorders um, and more. And, and so I, I love the opportunity to just do these quick sound bites around what are we working on? And it could be at the beginning or perhaps at the end uh, of an entire project. Okay, cool. Dr. J, Dr. Hussein. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Trustee Bouquet. Uh, yeah, I, uh... I don't have much to add in terms, but it's really very important for the frontline to come and present their uh, their work to the to the governing body, and uh, I would put it in the context of a spectrum. Like, where are our pain points? Like, throughput is our pain point, and this is a context of today. And where is also our healthcare innovation? You know, I think. Uh, our substance abuse and bridge clinic was really healthcare innovation that was adopted nationally. So I think in these two contexts, I would I would put this this work and 
and and of course in the context of the continuous process improvement or performance improvement. Thanks, Dr. J. Dr. Hussein. I just reiterate some of the same concepts. One is, um, I think uh, we do a lot of, there's, uh, we serve a great mission. There's a lot of great work. This is an opportunity to bring celebration to the process of performance improvement. I think that's really important for morale and culture. The second is that um, the display of vulnerability that is, you know, coming forward where those places where we can be better and, and leaning into that and telling the story of how we became better is is completely compatible with celebrating who we are. So I love that about this idea. And the final thing is um, that I agree with exactly what Dr. Jamaluddin said, that the answers and the solutions are uh, in, the, in, in the hands and the voices of our frontline staff, meaning they do the work every day. They have the most brilliant ideas. Tapping into that is what will change this organization. So I'm looking forward to celebrating that. Thank you very much. Trustees, any comments on this, on, on how you would, what would you like to hear from uh, with regard to uh, quality improvement? Are, are there particular, do, do, uh, you know, is this from efficiency and flow? Is this equipment? Are there any particular items that, that, you, that you would like to hear from where quality, a quality improvement uh, uh, endeavor was made? Crickets. Um. All I, I can say is, oh, sorry, Trustee Jensen, then Trustee Dong. Sorry, sorry, Jeanette. Um, all <laughs> I can say is, really, I appreciate that the the report prior to this from um, from staff was addressing the areas, of course, that we know that we need to continue to improve. And so, I think that this is a good way to um, way to proceed to use the data that we have, use the the data points that are so embedded in our um, our day-to-day -day provision of care. So thank you. Trustee, thank you, Trustee Jensen. Trustee Dong. Uh, I just want to go back and kind of talk about the second article uh, task that you um, provided for us all about walking the halls and, and finding, improving the overall quality of care by knowing what's happening on the front line. And I the comments uh, previous to mine resonate with me because I'm, improvement comes from the people that are performing our most critical actions. So that's uh, medical care, counseling, all, all these things that we do at AHS. Um, if we don't hear from them, we won't really know what's going on and how to improve. And I think it's also very aspirational when we hear from people um, that are actually doing the incredible work um, and that we're listening and that we want to know and how we can improve as a system, not for necessarily on an individual basis or situational basis, but as a system. So I think it's aspirational for our people. And I think it's um, important for us to acknowledge as your trustees that we're listening and we really, really do want to improve the system as a whole. So I thank you. Thank you, Trustee Dong. Um, I'm going to give a microphone to our chief operating officer and our CEO as well on this issue. And what, as a prelude to this, uh, I would envision this, this agenda item, nothing is too small. Uh, things actually might be too big for it um, because, and maybe they deserve its own agenda item. But these are sort of going to be like little, uh, little bites of improvement as we go along. But nothing is too small. It might even be something as simple as wayfinding 
which anyone who walks these halls knows is a big issue in our organization. Um, um, so I'll uh, now defer to our COO and then our CEO. Well, gosh, this is uh, one of my favorite topics, actually, and I absolutely love when ideas percolate up from the staff. Um, they have them all the time. They're the ones working, you know, with our patients. And as an organization, we just have to really figure out how to support that activity through educating, through giving them the venues to let their ideas be known, and then supporting them with resources to be able to take an idea through to fruition. Um, and I think some of that is lacking right now in our organization, but it is gaps that we can close to make sure that um, those ideas get their day in the sun, frankly, and, and come to fruition. At a, at a more macro level, um, the organizational improvement, um, matching strategy with pillars, with metrics, with how can all the staff help support the bigger goals in the organization are, is going to be really important. And we need to line those up over time. So there's so much opportunity and potential um, with all of this that um, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to working with everybody around how we can continue to provide the structure and resources at any level in our organization to improve quality. So I think if we can do that, the board will be very surprised on some of the unique ideas presented um, from staff that could come forward um, to hear about in the future. Yeah, I, I agree. Thank you, Mr. Frasky. Uh, Mr. Jackson, good evening. Good evening, Chair Bouquet, and thank you for the opportunity. And um, I really, I love this concept. I am struck by something uh, Trustee Dong said, which is this is aspirational. And I, I believe that, but I think that it is incumbent upon us to be aspirational. Um, this mirrors for me, frankly, what um, Mark Fratsky and I are doing. Um, we are rounding, we are um, setting up appointments for any and all staff to come and talk to us. And it's because as you said a moment ago, nothing is too small. And so really having the opportunity to hear from the staff, but I think as importantly, if not more importantly, to let them know that their opinions are valued and will be given the credence that they deserve. And so we really start modeling the behaviors. And I think that's what the trustees are now embarking on um, of being an evolving continuously quality improvement, aspirational organization. So um, I love this concept. I think it's echoed by the work that administration is doing in terms of getting out and getting in touch with the staff. And I, I endorse this 100%. Thank you, Mr. Jackson. Um, I, I asked people to consider article number one, which we read today, the cost of poor quality. But wouldn't it be great if our quality project, if we could somehow monetize our, our quality projects? Um, you know, I, I will take one of the dashboards, um, uh, which, which showed that we had about 622 avoidable hospital days uh, last month. Um, and at an estimated, $3,500 per hospital day, we're talking about $2.177 million right there in, in, in hospital days. So, uh, uh, and, but some of the, some of, some of the scale isn't going to be that, uh, uh, of that proportion and that's okay. Um, uh, we're here to fill out, uh, all the domains of steep safety, 
Is it a safe uh, quality thing? It, it, is it, does it relate to timeliness or efficiency or efficacy or, 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 or equity or, or is it a patient-centered thing? Man, it might just be parking for our patients. That might be a really cool quality improvement project. So um, I'm, I'm excited about this opportunity. I, I'm going to, uh, uh, with, with guidance, of course, defer to Dr. Tornabene and Dr. Jamaluddin and Dr. Hussein to, to kind of preview what, what the options are, and then I'll work with them, uh, giving some of you guys voice about what might be coming next. So um, I, 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 this is an exciting uh, new uh, standing agenda item, and hopefully we, uh, we, I, I, we navigate it well. So uh, barring any other comment, we're about to jump into our inaugural quality improvement project mm -hmm. report. Uh, so we'll close out item E, we'll go into item F. This is uh, from uh, John George, and it relates to an efficiency, which we're gonna talk about. I'll let, I'll let our speakers, I'm gonna introduce them and they'll introduce themselves again. Uh, this is Tanu Siddhartha, our interim chair of psychiatry. And we have Paula Austin uh, Gandahari, who's our director of nursing. Paula, are you in the room? Tanuj, are you on your own? Uh, uh, she's not in my room, but I think she is logged in. Uh, she will yes, yes, I'm Hi, Paula. Thank you for coming. Yes. Um, uh, uh, you two have about uh, uh, 10 to 15 minutes to walk us through this, if that's okay. Welcome. That's more than what I thought I had, so thank mm -hmm. you. Uh, uh, so what we're going to do today, and by the way, uh, should I be sharing my slides or? Uh, I... Uh, uh, it's, I think, I think it, that would probably be best. Okay, let me do that just one second. Sorry, this. Uh... So today, uh, I'm going to be mostly presenting and Paula is going to keep me on track and correct any errors if I make. Uh, uh, my goal here is to, you know, uh, can you see my screen? Yeah, we're good. Oh, great. Okay. So uh, thank you uh, for having us here. Uh, uh, Tunisia, maybe if you went into presentation mode, it might be a little bit bigger if possible. Yeah, I thought I did. Just one second. Just one second. This slows down when I. But if you can't, uh, we're we're from the good enough school. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't know why that's not happening. What am I doing wrong? Anyways, why don't you just run it from this if that's okay? I think the audience will be okay. I apologize. I don't, don't apologize. Because on one call, I know what's, what I'm doing wrong. I got it. I This is opening up on my other screen, and that's not the screen that is being shared. Uh, I think this should not take. Can 
it's not a Zoom meeting unless there's some type of technical fail. Yeah, where's the slideshow from beginning? Still not there, right? But no, 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 no. We're, we're, we're back in the gallery view. I, I don't think you have the screen. So you, if you can take control of the screen again, and then we'll just go with good enough. Uh, it's okay. We'll we'll call an audible here, uh, Madam Madam Clerk. Is it possible to pull up uh, page one nineteen of the packet, and then you, and then uh, Tanush, you can go old school and say slide. Yes, I'll do I, that. Okay. I, I can do that. Give me a minute. Why don't you go ahead and start talking? I don't have it open, so give me just a minute. Team, I, I'll, I can go ahead and do it. It's open on my screen. Can you guys see it? Thank you, Tanvir. Thank you, Tanvir. Thank you, Tanvir. Uh, sorry about that. Uh, no apologies. No, my, my laptop, I think it gets a little overloaded when I try Zoom and Outlook at the same time. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. So I need to fix that. Uh, thank you. So I, I see that the first slide is up there. Um, uh, briefly, what uh, we are here to share is a, a small little improvement that we have had over the last year in improving access to patients uh, uh, at John George. And I'll just go back in time a little bit. Uh, slide one, please. There are around the time uh, when the pandemic started uh, last year, that was uh, about February, uh, John George was really struggling to maintain access for our patients. And our psych emergency service was actually on diversion uh, for about three to four hours on, an uh, on average per day. And not every day, but we were on diversion multiple times a month for long periods of time, and sometimes more than 24 hours at a stretch. This was a tremendous impact. Patients with emergent psychiatric conditions were boarding in EDs sometimes unfortunately for days. Uh, our psych emergency room itself was overcrowded with morning census. Uh, we would walk into census in the 40, 40s, and overall it was an unsafe environment for our patient and staff. And then the COVID was you know, beginning to surge and uh, what we were looking at was oh, this, all these things, this is going to get much worse. So uh, slide two, please. Uh, we we realized that we need to really do something really quick. And uh, what happened, uh, we quickly, I mean, we started having some meetings and then we looked at our, uh, looked at our metrics and uh, we tried to get to a quick assessment. There wasn't much time. And, and I'm sharing some data here at that time, we realized that our length of stay in PES was 26 hours. Our assessment was that is an acceptable and our estimate was that we have to drop it to below 20 hours. The inpatient length of stay was about nine days, and our estimate was that we needed to drop it by at, at least a day. Uh, and uh, we also realized at that time that we were really not, uh, we didn't have a process, or we weren't really, not, we didn't have a project in place uh, for, which was focused on throughput. We were really quite engaged in several you know, quality improvement activities, which was around safety and quality. Uh, and overall, from a qualitative uh, perspective, we realized that 
uh, in our collective awareness at John George, we did not include maintaining access to care as one of our primary and essential roles. So we were very focused around safety and, you know, because of the things that had happened uh, in the recent past. And uh, we were doing pretty well on that, but, you know, we had not been doing, focusing enough on um, throughput. Next slide. Next slide, please. I want to ask a question, if that's okay. Please, please do. Um, sorry to interrupt your presentation. I, I was just wondering if this, it looks like that at this time at John George, this was right before the pandemic, before AHS was seeing pay, uh, uh, surge in patients. And so as you're starting this analysis, this is kind of the status quo pre-pandemic. Is that correct? Yes, this is pre-pandemic, yes. Thanks. Mm -hmm. So uh, the, the yeah so uh, you know the, the, we have to move quick. So uh, you, what the first good thing that happened with our team here was that I think we realized pretty quickly that uh, and we ended up with a shared belief uh, and it was a simple one and that was that uh, the current state was not acceptable. And we also came to a shared vision, or let's say a future state vision, of having absolutely zero diversions. We initially thought we should be able to do it by July. It was a little bit high in the sky, but I'll tell you the story about that. But uh, we, we wanted to have no diversions at all. So once we got a little excited about that, there was a fair amount of synergy. Uh, and then we identified, uh, broadly speaking, some focus areas, which we needed to focus and identify interventions in each of those areas. The first was to establish in our collective awareness, you know, that maintaining access was one of the core responsibilities of our clinical team, and that it went along with our responsibility uh, for providing safe care, high quality care. And essentially that having no access amounts to a score of zero on quality. The second was to quickly establish some daily processes and standard work to get the best outcome with whatever we had at that time, you know, the current structure, workflows and resources. And the third was to look at, okay, what, what are the uh, interventions we need to do that probably will take some time and uh, what process changes need to be done, but it could take some time. So we, we, we started working on things right away and then also started working on uh, some things that, you know, took a few months to implement. Next slide, please. So, so for example, to increase awareness and to maintain it about our current throughput, our access to, uh, you know, problems with access, uh, we shared our vision and meetings, huddles and rounds. And then as we progressed, I mean, starting actually daily in the beginning and then moving on to weekly and currently monthly, we uh, provide all our team members with uh, you know, a snapshot of uh, what our throughput looks like and how it has, how the last month has been. Initially, it was the day, then the week, and then the month. So we have maintained awareness uh, on that. And then as far as daily, there are many things I'm not going to share everything that we did. Some of those things, we actually stopped doing it because it didn't work. But as an example for daily standard work, the physician leaders, we met for 15 minutes every morning. We went to the dashboard together we actually came up with some calculations. Uh, we looked at the day forward and then identified what we need to do to avoid a bottleneck, which can, which tends to use to happen at a certain time of the day. So, you know, trying to, uh, you know, so we did, we did that initially every day of the week on weekends, 
and then over a period of time it has gotten hardwired then finally uh, we identified some changes that were clearly going to require some more uh, some more work and time and for example we started uh, you know this was probably achieved a little quicker we started providing uh, telesite coverage in the Alameda Health System EDs on weekends and night until uh, 10 p.m. So that's, this was, there was a progression. It started with uh, some coverage and then over a few months, I, we made it far more robust. Uh, then uh, through a collaborative process with the Physicians Union, we were able to arrive at a change in the psychiatry schedule in PS and also how the patient assignments uh, uh, we're done uh, for our physicians, meaning psychiatrists, and as well as how patients were assigned to social workers. That was a workflow change. And the nursing team in PES, uh, they started helping with identifying uh, and presenting patients to doctors and social workers uh, who on their impression were ready for discharge and we created a, a standard objective criteria for identifying uh, which patients would be ready for discharge. So, uh, so, you know, the, in a nutshell, uh, the, these were the main uh, interventions that we probably ended up sticking with. Uh, as I shared earlier, there were a few things we started and we did not, you know, we did not get much traction or we did, they were really not very effective. So we let go of those, but these are the ones we mostly stuck with. Uh, and as a result, we, uh, you know, let's go to the next slide, please. As a result, we did reach our goal. We really did not reach our goal in July, but by November, uh, we did get to that first month where we had no diversions at all in the month. And uh, by then, all the interventions that I mentioned, uh, they, they were implemented. And the metrics, uh, which are shared on the screen, had already progressed significantly in the right direction. Uh, if you see on the slide, the metrics on the right are, uh, sorry, on the same slide, uh, the metrics on the, in the green column represent our metrics at the beginning, uh, some in the beginning of February and some in the end of February. Uh, overall, as you can see, by that time, and actually a lot of them by October or November, the length of stay in PES had decreased from 26 to 16 hours. The length of stay uh, in uh, uh, you know, on inpatient had decreased from nine days to seven days. Uh, we had, uh, as a result, our morning census in the PES was in the mid twenties uh, or lower at some, quite often. Uh, our one, this was well, kind of an unintended effect This we really did not think we will get to that state, but our, where we used to be completely in, at capacity at John George on inpatient over the last few months, we have been at around 60. Uh, during this period, the number of arrivals per day also decreased. Uh, this, you know, this is a snapshot between two months, uh, and it shows a difference of three. But my estimate is that it's about five uh, on an average that the number of decreased arrivals on our to our PES. I think a couple of them are because of the coverage that we have in the EDs, more enhanced coverage. The other three, I mean, it's a, I think it's a COVID-related reduction. Uh, there's an important thing that I could, uh, no, that I, I, don't, I don't have another slide. Uh, the important thing that I uh, would, would like to highlight here is that, uh, and it's a process, right? I mean, uh, the, the we kept, I think the key thing is that once you keep uh, 
doing what you're doing, at a certain time, something becomes effective, I guess. Uh, for example, this graph on the right, which shows the diversion average hours per day, you'd see that it started, it had started decreasing. July was an uptick because we were on, uh, we, had a, uh, we had an outbreak at that time, but it had started decreasing before that, but it had not disappeared. And it finally, you know, came to zero and it has stayed like that for the last four months when we were finally able to change our, uh, you know, how we uh, uh, change our schedule for psychiatry in the PES and the, how we assigned patients. And that and that uh, that progress has sustained itself. Uh, I think this should uh, this should uh, this should uh, this should sustain. I, I feel that uh, we are in the in, a, in the consolidation phase at this point of time. With uh, continued attention, we should be able to make this. That's it. Actually, that's all I wanted to share today. Uh, happy to take any questions. Thank you, Dr. Siddhartha. Mm -hmm. um, Trustees, any questions? I'm, I'm on a small window view, so I can't see everybody. Um, Trustee Dong, I thought I saw going to speaker off. Trustee Dong? Excuse me. I just want to say uh, kudos to you. Um, a very inspirational report. And my favorite part was um, I liked how you always said we tried something. It didn't work. So we're going to go back and do it another way. And we figured it out. So I thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you. Trustee Esteen. As a psych nurse who put five years in in PES, uh, not at AHS, but in another health system, I know how important it is to make these gains that you've made, um, to have a census drop of almost so 10 patients on average no. from we'll night shift uh, to change of shift for the day, mm -hmm. and to have no more mm -hmm. diversion Mm -hmm. It's quite amazing. And I know that uh, COVID had something to do with it, but nonetheless, mm -hmm. it's huge. So mm -hmm. well done. All the changes you've made have been really paying the dividend. Trustee Jensen, I think you were next. Um, I, I agree. The report was amazing. And it's so good to see good news coming, Dr. Siddhartha, out of um, John George. I mean, not that we don't always have good news, but good news, especially in terms of the process and the, the patient flow. So that's that's really great to hear. My, my questions are basic kind of just um, about the system. And my first question is, where do most patients, when, when we were diverting patients, where were they going? So uh, our diversion, what it was, was we did not, uh, we, uh, our diversion was, you know, our Dr. Joshi and Dr. Simon and leaders, the people who were most, their units were mostly affected. John's our diversions would, uh, we, during diversion, we would be open for patients who walked in or who were brought straight from the community. But uh, we would not, 50% of our patients come from EDs. And right. so we would, they would stay in the EDs for longer periods of time. Thank you. That makes sense. So they weren't being diverted. I just wanted to clarify they weren't yeah, being diverted to another. We don't have anywhere to divert them. To. Yeah. <laughs> and my um, my other question, it's tremendous that the diversions have gone down to zero and the correlation. I, I completely can see how that correlates to the to the practice changes and um, procedural changes. But is there any relationship, in your opinion, to the the um, the pandemic and the shutdown to yeah. part to patient um, patient yeah. admissions. Is there any relationship there? 
Right. So the number of arrivals, so ballpark figure for, you know, the, this is month comparison between one month and one month. And, you know, the, there are seasonal changes and everything in number of arrivals. But my ballpark figure is that we have had five, a number, number of patients who arrived to PES has decreased by five during this period of time. And uh, uh, the length of stay, though, is not so dependent on how many are. I mean, there, there is a relationship, and especially on days if you have too many arrivals, right? But with it, the length of stay reduction, I feel, is mostly our process changes and the workflow, you know, our staffing scheduling changes. So I think the, if you get five less patients every day, I think everybody has a bigger, higher bandwidth to do what they need to do. Uh, but I think, you know, from 20, we won't go from 26 to 16 or from nine to seven. And then the inpatient length of stay, I mean, it's really not dependent on that at all. I mean, you know, the number, the number of, uh, actually we were quite compromised because quite often, well, I wouldn't say quite often, I think we have had three times since the COVID uh, where we had a one inpatient unit closed for a couple of weeks because we had a patient with positive COVID and the unit was closed for admissions. So we were able to maintain access there. So, so a short answer to your question is that yes, definitely the decreased number of arrivals has had an impact, but I think the length of stay and uh, I think the bigger impact I feel is that the uh, the improvements in process that we have done. Thank you. Thank you, Trustee Jensen. Uh, uh, Tanuj, uh, Dr. Siddhartha, a great presentation as always. Um, uh, some of my questions might be rhetorical and for future for future presentees as well, you know, I, I like to ask questions. So have you monetized this? How much did it cost to change that schedule um, for those docs? And then what are what 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 is the cost savings on the back end? And this relates to article number one, the cost of of uh, of I, I don't like the cost of poor quality because that what that does to people's psyches. Yeah, but 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 you know we know the elements of quality. It sounds like there was an efficiency issue. Um, so what, what what is what is the calculus of this? It costs this, and here's what we get on the back end. Yeah, so uh, uh, probably a little. I, I, I fully know that might be rhetorical here. No, no, no. I I I I'll probably a little longer answer that I'll have on there. there uh, two three things that I I myself have become more aware of and have become closer to me as principles. Uh, so when we talk about cost, uh, the money aside, I think the cost of uh, not having access is cannot be measured, right? I mean, you know, the, all the quality and everything starts uh, if we offer you have provided access. And if you do not have access, that's bad. I mean, and that's what I think. So yeah. that's what my, and I think what I've come to more of a realization is the uh, the magnitude of that, right? So now, from a cost perspective, uh, now when uh, what if there, what is the negative cost from the, the? There could be other thing that if you're discharging too many, then you will have higher readmissions. Thankfully, that hasn't happened. This, that data is not presented here. Actually, our readmission rates has gone down also in the last year, from 9.25 percent to about 7 percent. So I think we are doing okay. And my uh, my thought there is that you know enhanced attention tends to lead to enhanced attention on everything. So, you know, I think that's my perspective there. Now, cost of changing the schedule was zero because we didn't increase any uh, staffing at all. Uh, we just, uh, but we had, uh, you know, this is, when you change the schedule, shift schedules around, and if, even if you change the workflow, it's changing, it could be changing work conditions. So we worked with the union, had a few meetings, 
and then uh, what we ended up with not is was exactly now how I imagined it, but I think it was a, a fair you know uh, midway that we ended up with, and uh, the, you know it was effective. So there there was no cost. I mean we didn't do any extra hiring. Uh, now this cost saving. Of, uh, well, I think what well, well, that is because our uh, census has decreased. Uh, I think the negative impact is now that we are running below capacity on inpatient. The it can be, and I haven't done the math on that, no, Taft. But the, uh, the the what I have done is that I think what the positive impact has been. We were constantly overstaffing. When you are constantly. Uh, you know, at census higher than what you have planned for, especially for nursing. Uh, there were people on one-to-ones and we were, you know, calling people, you know, nurses to come in every, you know, every second day, I think we were searching for. So I think that part should have improved a lot. Uh, the overall, you know, the overstaffing should have improved. Uh, and, and I think we were also losing money, meaning I think in PES, uh, and patients, when they stay longer than 20 hours, uh, that's just, uh, you know, there's really no reimbursement for that. So I think the most of our care now is reimbursed. Yeah, that's the extent of that. Okay. Uh, uh, what about other, uh, and then I'll go to Dr. J. Uh, and again, this is partially rhetorical. You know, the other salutary benefits might be staff satisfaction. Uh, and, 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 th and that is certainly something worth having. You know, yeah, uh, uh, and, trustee Esteen, I think I saw her expression, and I, I, I appreciate that. I think mm -hmm. when a nurse on the, and that has been a huge thing, I probably should have mentioned it. But you know, the when uh, one of the big things was if you start your day in the in the morning and the night, late night, uh, essentially seventy percent of our patients come after four o'clock, and it's really very hard to get a patient to any kind of disposition apart from inpatient level of care. Of after four o'clock, mm. but it requires us. So there was this constant thing that sometime in the middle of the night we are we just you know spilling over, and nurse and then there's obviously more violence. There is you know more. And it was I, just a very dissatisfactory state. And as I think, Paula, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think we have heard we have had that complaint in the last year, right, the last months. Um, no. No, we haven't. Okay. Well, thank you, mm -hmm. um, Dr. J. Uh, just, uh, I, I just want to mention very briefly. I mean, I think uh, Dr. Siddhartha has been very modest about the effort that done here. But just uh, when I came here in 2016, 2017, that was a major problem, not only for Alameda Health System but for the county, because every time we go on diversion. The patients are staying in the ED with 5150 in the old EDs from Washington Hospital to Kaiser Hospital to Sutter Hospitals. And uh, those are non-measurable because when you are taking care of a patient with behavioral health, along a patient who is having an MI or along a patient who is having pneumonia, it's really very, very intense and it affects the quality of care of all other patients. So... Uh, uh, just uh, to, to address just two very important points here, there is a great deal of work uh, that has been done. I want to recognize, of course, Dr. Siddhartha, the nursing team and their Paula, and of course, the attention and the guidance of Dr. Felicia Tornabin. Mm -hmm. So what happened, what, what happened uh, uh, 
uh, when when you have less patients needing acute care, you can transition the resources and use it in your ambulatory care, and you use more intervention for behavioral health intervention in the integrated model and work upstream. We have done this in New York in 2014, 2015, where really when we worked on our average length of stay and we decreased it, we, we closed a unit and we use the resources, you know, the, the behavioral health skills, the nursing skills to, to work in the ambulatory model and to prevent patients from getting so sick to need to go to the ED. That's really a very, very important message here that, you know, we can really reallocate the resources accordingly. So uh, the other thing that really uh, pinpoint here is that this was done really with collaboration about changing schedule, right? We didn't really need to hire more people. We could have opened another unit and opened another ED, which was considered, you know, in 2016, 2017. But then we found out about this. Lastly, what I want to say is about, about the COVID uh, pandemic. We didn't have the COVID pandemic in New York, you know, but we had Sandy and we had other issues that are happening politically with hospital closes. But here the, the COVID pandemic pushed us. We were really in the summer terrified of having an outbreak and it pushed us. It pushed us to think, you know, here we have to move on. We have to move on. I think this is really an, an attention that really has done in a lot of area. So again, you know, thank you. Uh, thank you, Tanush, for this presentation and thank you, Paula for all the work you have, you have done, and, and, and Felicia, of course, thank you. Trustee Esteen, I'll let you close us out. All right, well, if I'm closing, then I'll have to make a little statement along with the last question. Mm -hmm. And the statement would be, thank you, Dr. J, for putting that so succinctly. Um, I think what I was alluding to when I said, maybe I'm the right person to be a finance chair because I'm a nurse is exactly what is being demonstrated through this collaboratory effort the collaboration and the design of the plan has really demonstrated great benefit in length of stay changes in census drop. And as Dr. J said, in other ED visits in other health systems, whether they be private or part of AHS. And that is really important. In addition to quality of care, quality of job satisfaction. Um, and so the, the last question I have is, have patient assaults been impacted? Patient assaults to staff and patient assaults to one another. That is often something that happens when you have behavioral health patients uh, in mass. And I'm curious if we've seen a decrease. Yeah, Trustee, I, the patient assault thing, uh, I don't the short answer, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I think in, P in my ballpark figure here is in PES it has decreased, on inpatient it has remained the same. Uh, I could have, I, I haven't done the analysis before I did this conversation, uh, you know, did I present it today. But uh, it's a, it's an interest, I think, uh, I think what, what has also happened during this period with, uh, you know, assaults, we have, uh, we have all our data you know, the way we were, uh, not from the quality, I think the definition of salt has always been clear, but the John George team's uh, appreciation of what amounts to an assault and their readiness to report, that has improved over a period of time uh, in the last few, couple of years. So, so long, long, short answer, but the, is that I'm not very sure about, uh, not a uh, trustee esteem at this point in time. 
Well, um, I'll, I'll close out with appreciation. And as they say in the medical, medical literature, good studies bear out further studies. So, you know, this becomes a springboard for other micro adjustments or macro adjustments within your service. So appreciated, Dr. Siddhartha. Um, mm -hmm. uh, with that, we will close out uh, our inaugural report on quality improvement projects. We were we look forward to this being a standing agenda item, and now I know that I need to give it a little bit more space than 15 minutes. We'll close out item F. Item G is a pretty quick one. It's the planning calendar and tracking issues. Um, I think we previously talked about this um, uh, on our current issues. We talked about nursing education. I think that's that that I, I think that uh, an adjustments are being made. We'll look for a report a future down the road, but Trustee SD and I don't have the timing on when that report can come, I'll, I'll, I'll be hearing from, uh, I'll have a conversation with our chief operating officer since he's been doing some of that. And we'll, we'll, that report will come back to this committee. Uh, throughput, well, we just gave one nice example of one of the, you know, 100 throughput areas within our organization. Um, I'll put this back to Dr. Dramaladine and Dr. Tornabene. Uh, this one's sort of a beast throughput. Uh, uh, and, and maybe it needs to be looked through a, a more micro lens because there's ED throughput, there's the hospital bed throughput, there's discharge throughput, there's Alameda Hospital, there's San Leandro Hospital, there's GI, there's OB, there's pediatrics. So uh, I'll, I'll put my brain on that with, with our CMO and our ACMO to, to bring something back. And the transfer center, I know that that discussion has been brought up. It was actually on one of our chief of staff items. I would like to give that to, um, I believe that reports up through our chief operating officer. I'm wondering if we could maybe do that two months down, two or three months down the road. Mr. Fratsky's uh, here a report on our, our transfer center uh, since we keep hearing about it. Yes. Is that, is that acceptable, sir? Yes. Okay. Um, uh, we've closed out issues on, uh, there was a discussion on med staff exit interviews. I believe that's a, a more appropriate to the HR committee and I'll, and I'll defer that to the HR committee. So with that, we will close out um, item G, sorry, that was item G. The written reports are in your document for you. Again, I'm going to ask the trustees to give it attention, big attention, if you don't mind, to item H2, the safety and quality data analysis plan for HETI, because it's sort of, it, it, you know, maybe they're just charts if you look them at, but there's a lot of great stuff in that. So that will close out item H. Any questions on item H? Barring none, I'll close that. We will uh, uh, we will um, um, go into closed session. Uh, for, our, for our audience, we'll go into closed session. I, uh, our, our action will most probably be related to med staff credentialing. I'm anticipating a relatively short uh, closed session, hopefully 15 to 20 minutes. We'll come out and give that report if you guys want to still be here. Um, uh, that's uh, posted on the public agenda. Um, with that, um, Council, if you'll take us to closed session. Yeah, so the, the committee will meet in closed session and set forth in the agenda. Thank you, everyone. Everyone have a great night if you're, or I'll see you when we get back.